Welcome to episode four of the Books That Make Us Better podcast. My name is Kayla Joe. I'm Megan. I'm Lydia. And I'm Jesse. And first things first, this week we have a really exciting giveaway on our uh, brand new Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better. So we have five books in total to give away, but this current giveaway that I'm going to talk about right now is just one book because we can't, you know, blow all of our shots uh, right off the bat. Am I right or am I right? You're right. So all you have to do is share the post that is pinned to the top of the Books That Make Us Better Facebook page. Super easy. Very simple. Yeah. Everyone should do it. Yes. Share it. Oh. And you get a great book for free. Does anyone want to mention what the next book is? The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, my Brene Brown. hero. I feel like she's all of our heroes. She popped up on my TikTok this week and it was a TED Talk I had already watched and I watched the whole thing again because she's just so wonderful. She is. And I could listen... Oh, that Netflix special. I made Keenan watch it. And I was like, CC, do you hear this? <laughs> He's like, I would like to. <laughs> it was so good. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An alpha media podcast. Be honest. So I'm actually really excited to go down another path. Yeah. Me too. So if you want a chance to win your very own copy of The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, head to our Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better podcast, share the post that's on the top of our page. That's all you got to do. But the one caveat to that is you have to make sure the post you share is public or we are actually not able to see that you've even shared it. So that is the one housekeeping item. How do you know if it's public, Kayla Joe? You click the dots. And then you go to your privacy settings. What a wonderful question, Megan. Yeah. And then when you post it, there's going to be a little icon next to the post and it'll look like a world. That's how you know it's a public post. If it has people, like little people icons, then it's a private post. Oh my gosh. This is so informational. ta <laughs> Okay, so we are getting things kicked off today with Miss Jessie. Take it away with Beach Houses. So where we left off after last week's episode is the chapter called Beach Houses. And in Beach Houses, uh, Glennon kind of discusses the difference between surface desire and true desire by telling a story of a friend she knew who thought she desired to rent a beach house for her family uh, so that they could be better connected. She mentioned seeing people on like social media posts, Facebook, Instagram, um, enjoying time with their families on the beach and being so connected. And so she thought she needed that experience too, to bring her family together. And in the chapter, it ends up being that instead of doing the beach house, the mom decides to implement kind of a cell phone ban or a cell phone basket that the family utilizes one hour each night. And she ends up seeing that she gets that same satisfaction and gratification and the connection with her family that she was longing for in this beach house rental. Um, and so 
Glennon uh, uses that story to kind of paint that picture of, you know, that sometimes our surface desires and our true desires don't really line up and they're misguided or disconnected. And if we really sink into our knowing, we would be able to find those true desires and be able to kind of wade out some of those surface desires. We really get tricked into believing that happiness is in things, don't we? I agree. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then um, there will be times when my husband and I will take the kids for like a a short little day trip or like a long weekend. And we both at different points look at each other and will actually say, this is so fantastic. And it's like a nice recharge because it's a great reminder that just being together and having those moments is really what matters in life and not, you know, can I take you to the nicest um, resort hotel? No, but we can rent this really cool cabin and make some memories this way. That's always the stuff you remember too. I feel like when people get gifts and by, well, actually I am going to commit to the word people. You give it attention, especially kids with toys and kids play with toys for like three days, I feel like. But when you go out and you have those experiences, it is, I mean, it's something that you remember and you talk about forever. So I think there's such a big difference in that stuff. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always pushing, um, for like gifts from family to be like an experience instead. Like, take our focus off of the things and say, oh, you know, here's a coupon for us going to the zoo or here's a coupon for you to come for a sleepover for the weekend. And, you know, invariably when they, when grandparents spend time with the grandkids or with us, they always end up making these great memories and like bonding and talking about it for a long time afterwards, more than if they would just been like, ah, here's a water table you know, like totally different. Yep. Do you, do you have any of those, um, coupons for like a back rub? I don't know why nobody gives me those. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Are you expecting strangers to give them to you? (laughs) I I will take them from anybody. Head rubs. I mean, are your hands clean? I'll take it. <laughs> I am only not feeling weird about this because you're a woman and I'm not bringing, I'm not meaning to bring sexism into this, but um, I just need to make that distinction. <laughs> I, I would take, I would take head rubs from anybody. Oh, I can't do that. No thanks. I mean, there were a couple other things in this section too, that I thought besides this story that I think we all found kind of meaning and, and painted a picture that we could really, um, identify with, but a couple of things that I highlighted, um, were some of the uh, quotes that she made about what is the desire beneath the desire? Is it rest? And is it peace? And I wondered if sometimes when we desire things or think we desire things, like if we asked ourselves, what is the desire beneath the desire? If we would kind of come to some of the those um, like realizations ourselves. And then the part about following our following our deep desires always returns us to integrity. And so if we sink deeper and we look like beneath, like what is the desire beneath the desire? If we find that, you know, that is our true kind of integrity. And then she goes on to kind of talk about how if, you know, we, if the world was, 
uh, if we followed the the most um, most desires of women, if the world was led that way, how different our world would be. And so she starts kind of building up into some of that. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, feminism, but. I don't know, I guess, how I want to say it, but she starts to kind of paint that picture of like how different our world could be if it wasn't so patriarchal. The very end was my absolute favorite. I don't know why I love when Glennon makes those references to Eve, but for some reason, like it just makes me so happy. And at the very end, she says, maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting, eat the apple, let it burn. So I've been listening to this book I and reading both because I've been doing a lot of driving and Glennon reads the book herself. And just to hear her say these things, you can hear her emphasis in what she meant for when she's writing it too. And there was the, the other part that I highlighted because hearing her say it made me just, it just made me feel. Um, she said... Uh, the blueprints of heaven are etched in the deep desires of women. What women want is good. What women want is beautiful. And what women want is dangerous, but not to women. Um, but hearing her read it, so good. Because she really puts the power behind the words. And, it, you know, like you write it, but when you hear her say it, it's like her thoughts are just there. I feel I feel like I'm missing out on a whole new experience by not having the audiobook now. I know. It's pretty great. I I drove a long way today um and I listened to all of these for the second time and just hearing her yeah, it's so powerful. It's really great. I feel like I'm kind of a snob when it comes to books because I I am that person that I don't want to read it on a Kindle. I want to hold the book in my hands and smell the paper and blah, blah, blah. And so an audio book to me was always just kind of like not good enough. But now I really want to listen to this one. I think or the like hardest a Brene part. Brown one because I could listen to Brene Brown's drawl in her Texas mm -hmm. drawl Seriously. all day long. Yeah. I think yeah. the hardest part um, for listening is that when you want the hardest part for listening is when I'm driving, for example, I can't take a note or I'm or I'm running. I can't take a note. I have to just make a mental note, which I don't know if that's hard or if that's good. Like it's committing to remembering it better, but I don't always remember it. And so oftentimes I have to go back and highlight what I meant to highlight. Well, speaking of powerful things, I felt like uh, temperature. So I really loved the chapter temperatures, which is the following chapter after beach houses. And I think I liked it so much because it's following the theme of trusting how you feel inside. So essentially, she's talking to her friend Martha, and she starts telling her all the reasons that she cannot leave her marriage. And her friend Martha tells her to drop into the knowing. And she said, essentially, I'm just going to sum it up. Like, think about how it feels to be with Abby. Does it feel warm? Yes, it feels warm. Think about how it feels to be without Abby. It feels cold. It feels icy. So she said, and this one I'm not going to sum up, quote, okay, Glennon, your body is nature and nature is pure. I know it's hard for you to accept because you have been at war with your body for so long. You think your body is bad, but it's not. It's wise. Your body will tell you things your mind will talk you out of. Your body is telling you what direction life is in. Try trusting it. Turn away from what feels cold. Go towards what feels warm. And so she continues to go on to say, I believe the cold and leave 
And when I sense joy, I believe the warm and stay. And I wish that we all had that much trust. And hopefully, honestly, maybe this book will help people or even myself begin to feel these feelings or the warm and the cold sensation of the knowing and learn how to trust your gut and trust those feelings instead of always second guessing the way that we feel about things. Yeah, absolutely. I think trusting, just trusting what you know is oftentimes, I think, the easiest decision to make. I'm definitely one of those people that just makes the decision and that's it. I make it and I go for it. And I can't understand when I watch uh, my family and friends hem and haw over a decision. And I think, oh my God, just pick something, like just do it. <laughs> like what, what are you feeling? What feels right? Do it. And, but I, I get it because I definitely have done that, but I, I'm right here with Glennon. Uh, I'm, if it feels good, I'm going for it. Do you ever make that decision though and wish that you had done something different or do Austin. you feel... Yeah, but that's yeah, life. Okay. You know, I mean, that's life often. Often, Yeah. And a lot of times Rob is the one who will say, I think we should do this one thing. And I'll say, no, let's do it this way. <laughs> and then we do it my way. And sometimes, a lot of times I end up saying, ah, you were right. We should have done it your way. <laughs> but I well, think that's weird. But that's life. <laughs> So weird, but that's life. Like you make a decision. It's not always right. The end. It's not the end of the world. I'm still here. You can make wrong decisions. It's okay. <laughs> I love that attitude. Yep. Okay. Are we moving to mirrors? Let's We're moving. On. Okay. In mirrors, Glennon has realized that she's in a lonely, empty marriage, but she um, is not at a point where she can give into that knowing and she kind of looks at it like uh if she divorces her husband then then she's letting her kids down and she talks in this chapter about raising tish as if she were an egg and always needing to protect her and not letting her get cracked not letting her ever hurt or experience anything painful and by the end She's telling a story of uh, being on Tish's bed, watching Tish brush her hair, telling her, you know, I want to cut my hair. And she says her hair looks too babyish and she wants it shorter. And in that moment, Glennon looks at her and realizes she's not an egg. She's her own human being. And that every time Tish looks at her, she sees herself. So every time Tish looks at Glennon, she sees herself. And in that, she's wondering, you know, like, how how is a woman supposed to wear her hair? How are we supposed to be loved? And how are we supposed to live? And she has this realization of remaining in her marriage is showing her children um, th the wrong way to live if you're not happy. And that um, you need to find your happiness. And that um, for her to leave this marriage and find her happiness, she is being the best parent that she can be. Once again, that end line, like Glennon always. I was now, that. Now I'm just so irritated with myself that I am. <laughs> Lydia, you just were, you felt so sophisticated to me earlier when you're like, I must smell the books. I'm, I must smell the leather bound oh, books in my fine mahogany <laughs> office. Um, but the very end. But what I want this marriage for my little girl. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because if we think about 
And I'm not even going to say for parents, because I'm sure, Jesse, you think about this with your kids, too, at school. But for adults, I feel like it's easy to sometimes accept lesser than because it's easy for us to just ignore it and then just move on. Like, well, if it's me, it's fine. It's whatever. But then if we look at the kids around us or even, you know, like if I were to look at Liam and think, but like, would I want that for him? Could you imagine if we asked ourselves that question more often? Yeah, we would right. we'd be making different decisions. Right. Well, yeah. There is so much of this book that I can relate to, not in my current li- like area of life, but in years past. And I've literally looked at myself and said that about my daughter. Like, do I want this for her? And I didn't. Now I can show my kids a very healthy relationship and one that two people are equals and we love each other and we don't try to make another person be something we're not. We, it's a great example of what a healthy couple should be. And it was hard and scary to get from that point to where I am now. But I asked myself that so many times to keep me going and to keep me through it was, do I want this for my daughter if she were my age? And would I want to watch her go through this? And no. And then I thought about my parents and I'm like, those freaking saints like sat with me through all of all the mess before I found my happiness. And so it's uh, they're great people because it'd be real hard to watch your kids go through that. Uh, But I will say, Lydia, I think that's what parents are for. Mm -hmm. I would agree. The good ones. Yes. They're there to support you. Yes. Good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. There were some times where I asked my dad, like, why didn't you tell me I was being stupid? And he said, would you have listened to me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, dad, but I like think I would. (laughs) So moving on to eyes, Megan. Yeah. So eyes, uh, aptly named, um, because she starts it off with talking about... Um, finishing up with that therapist who gave her the worst wrong advice there ever was. Um, And she had made this decision. She says, okay, I'm going to forget about Abby. I'm going forward with Craig. But she sits down in front of this mirror in her room and she looks at herself and she, she really looks at herself, looks herself in the eyes and says, you know, is this the person that you want to be? And she said, every now and then you need to, do this deep looking into your eyes. And she says, you need to make sure the eyes in the mirror are the eyes of a woman you respect. And so, you know, she found herself not respecting herself, (laughs) essentially. She's struggling because she's trying to fall into that trap of like martyrdom that a lot of moms fall into, where you just think that the greatest thing you can give to your kids is yourself and give yourself up and become whatever it is that they need. But she does, um, she asks, you know, why do we keep passing this down? And like, I, I highlighted this part and I just have to read it because it's so hearing her again, hearing her say it, and then reading it again is so powerful. Um, she says, if we keep passing down the legacy of martyrdom to our daughters, with whom does it end? Which woman ever gets to live? And when does the death sentence begin? At the wedding altar? In the delivery room? Whose delivery room? Our children's or our own? And I thought, yeah, like, where does it end? Why? When do we end it? We need to end it. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I digress. Essentially, she's talking about, does she become a martyr or does she not? And, you know, in the end, she decides to, you know, not 
become a martyr. Um, and she makes the decision to leave her husband and to go for Abby, despite having never even touched her. You know, she goes down that path of what could be a really horrible time. But in the end, this is the chapter that I alluded to last time we recorded, um, where I thought her, her husband, Craig, is not he wasn't all that bad. <laughs> At first I thought, oh, he must be this horrible creature to allow her to act like she had in her previous two memoirs. But really, she, um, you know, she tells him and what does he say? He said, three years ago, you gave me more grace than I deserved. Now I'm going to return it to you. I want you to be happy. And I thought, this is how humans treat each other. I mean, and she says, you know, that they didn't stay in that place. It was a roller coaster. That's human, too. But they treated each other with respect and grace right in that moment. Essentially, I felt like this chapter was about her just looking into her eyes and really thinking, like, do I respect me? And is this the person that I want to be? And, you know, coming to the realization that, no, that's not the person she wants to be. Well, and one of the parts that I really liked, and actually now that um, I'm looking through this, I'm seeing this as a reoccurring theme of things that I've highlighted, which then makes me kind of reflect back on my own parenting and maybe what I'm subconsciously like leaning towards. But she talks about right there on the floor, I looked deep into my own eyes. I let the knowing rise and stay. My children do not need me to save them. My children need to watch me save myself. And I think that's really true because we have this innate feeling that we need to protect our kids. But by, you know, treating them like the egg, like she just said, we're not really protecting them from anything. So by having her kids watch her take that step and live a true authentic life, like, geez, what better lesson is even out there? Yeah. I mean, when you when you can show your kids what it looks like, then they can mirror that because they're always watching. Uh, no matter what age, they're always watching. They see exactly what these adults around them are doing. And if you can be a good example, then you can raise a good human, right? Like you just try your best and hopefully you get a good human. <laughs> right. And live as bravely as you can, you know, like she's talked about previously too, just being brave. Yeah, your version of brave. Right, your version of brave. <laughs> totally. So what what was the deal with gardens? Oh, gardens was kind of steamy. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it begins with Glennon acknowledging that she learned early on how to be desirable, what society told her she needed to do in order to look desirable to the opposite sex. Uh, but she feels like she never knew desire herself until Abby came into her life. And so the chapter is about the first time they really saw each other in person after she has told her husband that she no longer wants to be with him, that she wants to explore this relationship with Abby. And she actually had told Abby at some point that she has never made eye contact with any of her partners before while um, being intimate. And so that was a theme here. And Abby told her, well, that's not going to be us. And so she shows up to a hotel where Abby is because I think she's an ex accepting an award from ESPN. And yeah, she shows up at the hotel and it's this immediate 
physical attraction and um, reaction to each other. And it's intense i mean yeah so i'm super happy for them <laughs> this is my i could not have picked a better person to talk about this chapter than oh you but yeah so it was so like a disney movie was this on purpose it was like a disney movie <laughs> i'm like yeah. oh this, this is very you, g it, yeah yeah and not yeah. that the book is r but like it that was a very yes yeah I do really think it's adorable how she says, my first thought, there she is, that's my person. She would later tell me that her first thought had been, there she is, that's my wife. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Totally. totally. Don't we like all want people to look at us and think things like that? Yes. So I, I thought it was adorable. But um, yes, and so the longer that they've been together, the more naked and unafraid she's become. And it's oh. just a cute nice lovey chapter mm-hmm. yeah i agree i emphasis on the lovey huh yeah, lovey lovey yeah i guess it, it's disney if disney did you know same-sex partners <gasps> disney listen Get up. on it I in the chapter I also wondered I'm I'm beginning to wonder if I've just never flown the right carrier or maybe I've just never been in first class because how do you get ready in a bathroom? No kidding. I totally like, thought she that too. straightened her hair and did her makeup like in what lavatory? I'm yeah. sorry, lady. Yeah. The ones I've been in, I gotta walk sideways to get into. Seriously, yep. I just got I just got done flying in multiple airplanes to Iceland and back, and I can confirm. The first off, I don't even know if there's a plug-in in those things. Thank you. And second, how how are you taking off your socks halfway <laughs> through a flight in a bathroom where, like, you know there's probably some shit on the floor? Ugh, stop oh, it. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I took the romance right out of it, Megan. Jeez. I mean, sorry, I have questions, sorry. but not those kinds of questions. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I, have, I, I mean, it's fresh on the mind. I was... Uh, uh, when we were coming back, I wore my my Chaco's sandals, but I wore socks inside of them because I thought, oh, my feet might get cold in the airplane. And at some point, I had taken the Chaco's off and I walked to the bathroom and I was like, what is on the floor? Why? <laughs> and like, so I'm like standing in the dry spots because I'd already yeah. walked all the way over there. Anyway, so fresh on the mind. Um, there, was, there was crap on the floor. It was there was crap. Wet spots? Wet spots. I'm not, <laughs> it could have been that somebody washed their hands and they were very messy about it but it might also have been somebody missing the toilet oh because gosh, it wouldn't okay. be the first time men i'm just gonna say <laughs> messy men so i think this is a good time um now that we've covered sex but then also inadvertently went to piss on the floor i think <laughs> I think it's a really good time to move on to vows. So I am going to try to go through vows like as efficiently as possible, but I will say that it is kind of a lengthy chapter. Mm-hmm. So the, oh yeah. Uh, can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Oh, thanks everybody. Okay. So first of all, she talks about when she was pregnant and how she was not going to find out the gender of the baby, but then uh, did end up calling back. And then she found out it was a girl and she called her sister um, and said that she, you know, accidentally asked and then was told blah, blah, blah. But then she goes into this word and I was planning on Googling this word to get the phonetic 
pronunciation. So if uh, any of you guys know Hebrew, I believe I would guess it would be Salah. No, she says Selah. Selah. This is the benefit of listening to it. This is the benefit. Yes. Good job, Megan. Okay. So she talks about how Salah would be the word to like. Selah. Stop it. Too much for my American brain. Like Selah V, you know, (laughs) Selah V. Who sang that song? Is that a song? Isn't that Doris the I thought you just was saying, yeah, say la vie. No, I think Doris saying a say la vie song. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, now maybe I'll remember how to say it. (laughs) So anyway, it's the signal basically to stop in silence and to just take something in or to appreciate it. And she talks about how like Tish, who is the daughter that she was talking about, is her, Megan, just say it. Say la. Say la. Thank you. Maybe we should all just. <laughs> so Sayla. there it is. So I especially loved this last part or this next part in the book, because it talks about how essentially Tish just was not born agreeable. Like Tish was born with all these emotions and all these concerns. And how oh, she'd sit on the floor outside her bedroom with a sign saying, good morning, Tish, we will be pleasant today. And she'd point to the board and explain that pleasant meant act happy. Just pretend. She said, this is our social contract with the world, kid. Act happy. Suffer silently like the rest of us for the love of God. And then she says, Tish basically just rejected all of those memos. So she has this breakdown on the floor and her husband walks in and she just is saying how Tish is incorrigible. Like she just, where did this drama come from? And he didn't say anything. And then she was like, oh, okay, well, Tish is me. So that's how that worked out. And then I loved where this chapter turned into because it started talking about how they started to work with Tish or alongside Tish rather. So when Tish would become upset, they would say, I see you're upset. Are you ready for a solution or do you need to feel this way for a while? And she said a lot of times Tish would just need to sit in those feelings. And she pointed out when we try to rush through life and through pain and through beauty, Tish shows us to slow down. And that basically uh, Tish is our family conscious, she said. And I made, our I made Siri write that one down for me. The, oh my gosh. Do you need a solution now or do you need to sit in that? I, I was like, Siri, write it down. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you know how many times, like, I think that you guys maybe have seen this part of me, especially with starting this podcast, but like, I am a doer. So if there's something I want to do, give me a list, man. And I will just knock it out one at a time. It doesn't matter how many plates I have spinning in the air. I just it will obsessively just do it. And there's so many times that now looking back on it, I wish I could just sit in it maybe for a minute. And I'm not, I'm not good at that. I think it's oh, okay to go for it. You're yeah. a fellow doer. So it's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, opinion, uh, <laughs> a little biased maybe. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> it's perfect in every way, and I think it's the right decision. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Just so we're all clear on that, that's where Megan stands. Um, but again, I highlighted the same thing I've highlighted 10,000 times. She said that back when she thought her job was to keep Tish safe instead of allowing her to be brave. Back when I thought I should make Tish's life easy instead of allowing her to learn that she can handle life's hard. So clearly I have a an issue with making Liam's life too easy and that's probably true. But she said that was back when she believed that a mother was supposed to be her daughter's hero instead of allowing her daughter to become her own hero. And I thought that was amazing. But then, bum, 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 it talks about how in the end, and as a parent, I just can't even imagine how this would feel. She became the person that ended up breaking Tish's heart when she ended up, uh, you know, telling her husband that she was not happy and that she was in love with with Abby. And she said that she broke the heart I had been given to protect. I watched Tish grieve and I watched her rise. I learned that you can break a child's heart without breaking a child. And that just gives me the chills. Yeah. Yeah, I agree powerful again so much so then she continues um to go on but she talks about how she doesn't want to keep protecting tish from life's fires i want to point her toward the fire and say i see your fear and it's big i also see your courage and it's bigger we can do hard things baby we are fireproof and god damn it every child on the planet needs that lesson yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did highlight that part because I loved it. So good. And I also yeah. think the very next part where she says that she wishes she would have, she ends up using this, or she says on Tish's uh, nursery wall, she had every little thing is going to be all right, but she uh, replaced it with here's the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that gives me the chills too. So and I'm like, gosh, I wish that was on my nursery wall. I know. I think I need to go ahead and sharpie that on the, my children's walls. Yeah. My my mom said she's going to start listening. So Sherry, where was that? Sherry. Yeah. Sherry. Share bear, we need answers. Could have done, done with a little of that. Gary, Megan here, blast from your past. What were you thinking? <laughs> Jesse, I would like you to put that on the inside of Sunny's kennel, though. So <laughs> yes, here's yes. here is the world, Sunny. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. You're right. Not for dogs. Dogs get to sleep and eat <laughs> and poop and pee, and that's it. They get to sleep a lot. That's oh, the lucky. The lucky ones do. I I have to correct myself because I realized I was wrong. Um, Doris Day's song was K Sarah Sarah, not Say Lovey. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys, I'm now that your conscience is this. clear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the and amount actually, of useless knowledge that floats around in here gets a little mixed up sometimes. And actually, my mom would probably be the only person that would call that out. So oh, you're lucky she hasn't started listening yet. I would, not, know I would be so bothered knowing that someone could call it out and be like, nope, you're wrong. So I have to correct myself. We are a place of factual information. <laughs> we don't okay. do we don't do fake news. Mm -mm. OK, well, Robbie Neville also sang it in 1987. Oh, so <laughs> I would like to just throw that out there. 
Oh my gosh. The girl group that sang Say La Vie when there we were was. all younger. That's the one I have in my brain. It's for yeah. sure not Robbie Neville, but it's very like Wait. jumpy and Say La Vie means that's life or such is life. I didn't I for some reason I had seized the day in my head. What the heck is that carpe diem? You guys bewitched. <laughs> It was bewitched. Yes, bewitched. Oh, I'm sweating so bad. I just like really needed to get to the bottom of that. <laughs> so glad we got there. We can got we move? There. Can we move on now? Yeah, I would love on to touch trees. <laughs> so on to touch trees. So before I really talk about uh, the chapter, well, I guess it is about the chapter. Um, I identified with a, a huge part of this that was at the very beginning. That really doesn't have a lot to do with the story other than uh, I learned that Glennon has a hardcore obsession with Bravo, the TV yes. channel, as well as HGTV. And I oh, identified yeah. that, identified with that a lot. I love the part where she says, um, where she talks about how she had given up all of her, you know, drinking and her addictions and her dr- uh, addiction to drugs, binging and purging, um, shopping compulsively, but she could promise us this, that it will, they will have to pry Bravo and HGTV from her cold, dead hands. So I felt that in my core. Same. (laughs) Um, So in Touch Trees, uh, Glennon is watching an episode of like a survival show. I envisioned kind of like the naked and afraid thing. Um, In the episode, the survivalist um, goes through an experience of or explains how to survive in terms of using these distinct trees to always be able to come back to um, to increase your chance of being found or increase your chances uh yeah to increase your chances of being found if you always come back to the same place and so to her her in her own situation you know she was kind of lost in her life and thinking about her touch tree uh was always something outside of herself at this point um and so understanding that you know she was probably always going to be lost if she continued to live that way and it's it's just this reoccurring theme that we see chapter after chapter that focuses really heavily on you know thinking about that individuality and that self-reliance and that independence and how that doesn't come by looking outward. So how to become your own touch tree versus using other people or things to be that for you. I love botanical metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that about you. That's so weird. I know it's so strange, Um, (laughs) but I loved it. And I was very... When she started drawing that <clears throat> conclusion, I was running the first time I heard it. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, a touch tree. That makes perfect sense. Your home base, you come back to the tree and it's a big, strong tree. And of course, you know, I'm envisioning this like great big redwood. Anyway, totally. I Maybe someone else needs a visual like that. That's what I did. Envision something very big and strong and think, okay, you can venture out into the world and come back to your great big red oak. That's all. Uh, I need to pick out two trees for my front yard, and I don't mean to get off track here, but I think that this would be an excellent job for you, Megan. <laughs> so I will let you know the specifics of what I'm looking for, and if you could okay. match match make me with a couple trees, uh, I can like slip you a 20 or something. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> Thank Slim you. 20. I need to make Tinder for trees. <laughs> <laughs> I would left. I would swipe left on you, baby. Is that what we do? Do we swipe left? I, I don't know. I think you swipe or right. Do you swipe right. I don't know. <laughs> Anyone? 
anyone I have no idea but that idea is trademarked or copyrighted now for you megan so no one can steal it <laughs> whatever it needs to be it is now yeah, I would also like to say Lydia tells us how loving her relationship is every episode. So we know that Lydia is for sure not on Tinder. Am and I? <laughs> really? Well, I say it with love. But no, yes, no, but I'm like, ugh. Like, is that we, too much? We know you no, and Keenan are in love. It's I, just like, I just like, I don't know. I feel like I've had some really shitty relationships and he's the exact opposite. So he like comes to mind a lot when I read this book. Oh, Fucking precious. That's right. Disney. More Disney right there. All this Disney. Oh. It was so much Disney that Jesse left. Oh, she's gone. She gone. Uh, no, I'm so, still here. But I just, as you were talking about uh, Lydia bringing up uh, how, you know, in love and how perfect, not perfect, but how great her relationship <laughs> is. Wow. I just remembered how crazy irresponsible I am because my phone almost died, guys. I almost lost me. Oops. Oh, almost a corner. welcome. What's so going on? Where are you plugged here. in? Are you plugged oh. in like under a plant? What is that? Megan, yeah. name that plant. Go. I need to just bring me a smidge closer and I might actually be able to. It's an herb, I'm going to guess. Is it time? <laughs> no. Spearmint? I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's a creeping P-I-L-E-A. P-I-L-E-A. Pilea? Yeah, a pilea. And she creeping, she creeping right out this pot, if you can see her. Yeah, she sure is. Can you give her a new pot? Because that's the pot the garden gave her. The garden hey, center gave her. Just like <laughs> love is creeping right on out of Lydia's heart. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, um, Probably okay enough for us to move on to Bucket. <laughs> oh, is that me? I really love this chapter. So Yeah, it's cute. I, um, metaphors. I do love her metaphors. Okay, so it's a short and sweet one. Hold on, I'm about to... So I'm going to take a moment here to add in a little bit of a producer's edit. What we didn't disclose is that Megan just got back from a trip to Iceland and came back with a pretty nasty cold. At this point, she ends up losing herself for a second, but I digress. Let's dive back in. So Buckets, it's Tish again. She's the feeler. She's the big one who seems to be, she seems to be the the child that brings Glenn in to that point of thinking most often. Um, but so Tish is just generally feeling what we all feel, but feeling lonely and uncomfortable in your own body. And I think, I mean, same Tish, same. So she comes in and says, you know, everything's wrong, but nothing's wrong. You know, I don't know what's wrong, but I don't feel comfortable on my skin. And, you know, Glennon says, yeah, same. Um, but let's talk about so she gives her this metaphor that would maybe make her feel better that um, we are all these like body buckets. So, and she, she brings this metaphor because they just been at the ocean and there was this little girl filling up plastic buckets with ocean water, the sea. And so she says that we are all these like buckets, like these human human buckets. And the moment we are born, um, we get a bit of the sea in us. Um, but we like long to be with the rest of the sea. You know, we want to jump out of our bucket and into someone else's bucket and just, you know, share that experience, that life experience with other people, but you can't because you're, you're trapped in your, in your bucket. Um, and so she says, you know, that's how it is. Um, but everyone else wants that feeling too. We're all lonely and we all want to be together. So like, you know, maybe someday, um, 
you know, we go back to the sea. Our, our sea jumps out of the bucket when we die. She makes this like beautiful metaphor, which I think is lovely to think about that, you know, maybe at some point in our lives, we, when we die, I can't. <laughs> oh gosh. Is this it for you? It's it. I Are you returning a- to the sea right now? <laughs> I'm going to the sea. Bye. <laughs> Oh my god, that was too perfect. Are you returning to the sea right okay, now? I'm good. I think I'm good now. <laughs> One more editor's note: Megan did not, in fact, return to the sea. Back to it. She makes this connection that maybe when you die, your your little bit of sea goes from the bucket back to the rest of the sea, back where you belong. And that was comforting enough for Tish to, you know, let go and go to go to sleep. Um, but she does end it with, um, in the end. You're not the bucket. You're the sea. Stay fluid, baby. And yes, amen. Stay fluid because, yeah, the bucket sucks, but you can be the sea. Well, I'll be calling the afterlife the sea from here on out. But I I think (laughs) I think what Tish feels is normal. I mean, I don't think I don't think it's different from how anyone else feels, but gosh, how hard would it be to raise a child with all these feelings? Yeah. Ask my mom. (laughs) Oh, you are Tish, Lydia. I think that's why I like all the chapters with Tish so much because like, I, I get it. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of the books that make us better podcast. Join us next week as we continue to make our way through Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Next week will be a shorter podcast as we continue navigating our way around schedules and summer vacations. But be ready to talk about attendance, memos, poems, and boys. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast streaming service, leave us a review, and join our Facebook page. Books that make us better. Don't forget there you can share our post for a chance to win a free copy of our next book, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I'll leave you this week with our friendly reminder. You are fire, baby.